Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Hoosier Band Podcast. Uh, we have a great show for you guys this week. I'm so glad you guys uh, are sticking around and watching us. Numbers are going up. We're really happy about that. But today, today, we are going to start off with the one, the only. You've seen her on Women of a Certain Age. You've seen her on Tough Crowd. Give it up for Vanessa Hollinshead. Yay. Thank you for that, Sean. How are you, Vanessa? This has been brutal. This has really been hard on me. It really has been. What, what have you been up to? I've been, I've been with my boyfriend in Long Island. I've been laying bricks. I've been doing paper. I've been doing yard work, housework, cooking. Like, I feel like a housewife. I went from, like, independent comedian house, housewife, carpenter, bricklayer. Did you always, were you always that type of person? Were you always working out in the garden and doing housework? Or because of this pandemic, Never. now you pick up a new skill? I got really depressed. And I did like yard work or laid bricks or, you know, uh, the rock music around. I knew it would uh, keep me from getting depressed because I'm, I'm like depressed. It has not been easy. I'm like a people person. And to suddenly, and I don't find the Zoom comedy at all, you know, conducive to my mental well-being at all. No, you need Very hard. stand up comedy, we know, is a contact sport. Yeah. yeah. Some people don't need that. Yeah. They're loading they tons of content on their uh, Facebook or Instagram, and they're perfectly okay. So it's a good, that's a good way to kind of segue into the question I wanted to ask you is what do you think the future of comedy holds now, going forward from this point on? What do you think is going to happen? I'm really frightened. Um, when I worked at Dangerfields, on a weekend, I got $50 for a full show, packed, 50. Uh, weekday, 25. So I'm really afraid that once uh, things start up in the comedy clubs, the, the pay is gonna be cut in half because they're gonna be doing social distancing. And then for ships, uh, there's some talk that, you know, for the cruise lines, there's some talk that they're gonna go down on that, even though no comic has gotten a raise in nine years. It's a scary time right now. It really is. Um, but before this, you you, you were doing great. And you had a, a special. I wanted to ask you about that as well. How was it filming a Women of a Certain Age special? How was that? The last thing that happened was the uh, ratings had gone through the roof. Every time we do a show, they'd ask to, we'd get a sold out show. And then we'd have to do another sold out show. And then all of a sudden, after 27 years of working like a dog, to get to a certain level, everything in one day, in one day, it's like it stopped. Exactly. And all of a sudden I went from like, um, and then, you know, I was talking to my boyfriend. It's like, oh, you know, you perform for a few people. And it's like, you don't understand as a comedian, you live, you keep trying to build your audience to perform for more people. And to go back to performing for like 20 people kind of laughing is like being an open micer again. It's, you know, debilitating. How many years were you at it? How many years have you been working professionally as a comedian? 28 years. March 31st, made 28 years I was a comedian. And I never met, went more than two weeks, even my, on my honeymoon with Lucian. Within two, I performed in Amsterdam and Paris when we were on our honeymoon. I never met more than, I never went more than two weeks without being a performer. I mean, I think this is setting a record for everybody. How did the whole uh, women of a certain age uh, special? How did that all come about? Like, you know, how did how, like, how did how did you get picked to be on it? How many shows did you wind up having uh, to film? 
I um, just got off a cruise and I had gotten reprimanded for doing some jokes that they thought weren't, um, you know, PC. And I literally reached a point where it's like, I can't, I, I spent two years in my stateroom on the ships on uh, either Royal Caribbean or Norwegian trying to figure out what I did wrong and just Googling like uh, Illuminati, PC language, how's comedy changing, uh, what's happening in comedy, young people in comedy, what people find funny. Like every night I go to bed watching this and I'm telling you Whoopi Goldberg literally saved my life because I was ready to get out. I was ready to like work at Starbucks. And she said, you can either, you know, let this make you bitter and make you get angry or you could start working smarter. And I was like, like a light bulb went off. And I thought, you know what? Let me make fun of the Europeans and let me make fun of myself because I need to make a living. And then uh, Carol said, we're doing a show uh, at the Crane Theater for funny women of a certain age. going to be a lot of older women, men, basically women. And I had just gotten off a cruise. My hair was curly. I was depressed. I and I had been on those, you know that you know that keto diet where you like yep. don't have any carbs. You know, okay. Yep. I've been doing that for a week. Maybe I lost half a pound. I was getting really discouraged. And there was like this Kaiser Bakery with like the almond croissant, you know. And I'm like, you know, oh, fuck it, I'm done. I'm done. My hair was curly. I had t-shirt, had jeans on, and I just saw this audience of like women and men that just wanted to laugh. I did all this crowd work. I did my material. I had no idea that nine of them were from Showtime. Wow. That, and I that, killed. That's a good thing I had one of those killer know. sets. And then Carol called me up and she goes, um, we got the show. We got the show because of your French porn bit. I, I, I was that. You do that bit. That is amazing. That's really funny. And you know, what the, you know what the great part was too? And, and Vanessa won't tell you this, but I'll tell you this. Uh, I personally, you know, I, I love Vanessa like my big sister. I, she's, I, I wouldn't be anywhere in my career without her. And, uh, you know, and Carol Montgomery's another one who's been absolutely amazing to me. And Carol told me firsthand, face to face, when I knew I was getting the show, the first person that I was booking on that show was Vanessa. That's a nice story. No, yeah. that, that leads me into something that, you know, a, a good segue. I know you and Vanessa are good friends, that yep. you work together. Vanessa, I have a question for you. What is your, do you have a, a particular Sean Morton road story? Oh my God. Is, is Vanessa alive? I can't tell you how he, he was awful to me. <laughs> really? Get at, no, he's so sweet and cuddly. No, when I had a pee, Sean, listen, when I had a pee, he filmed listen, when I had I, a pee. I was yeah, nice enough, I was nice enough to pick up Vanessa at her house in New York City. <laughs> was in a great area and we were going up to Utica, New York for the Turning Stone Casino. Uh -huh. I just made it to the Bronx and she <laughs> asked me to pee. <laughs> and then that and it also added seven more times a 230 mile trip I had to stop for Vanessa to pee. Did you have to film it and humiliate me? Just I did. Me. I know I had to I had to make an example out of you because you know what? As okay. great as you've been to me, uh, you are without a doubt the big sister I never wanted. Um, I had to, I had to torture you in some way. So I had to show my fan base why it took me four hours uh, longer than it should have taken me because I had to stop for fucking old pissy pants patty over here seven times. Okay, that's what I went through. Okay, trying to help him out, trying to you know do the right thing by Sean. 
humiliated because so I where, drank too much coffee. Where did, where where did you get your start in comedy? How old were you, and where did you start? I was thirty one, and I lied about my age to Lucian. I told him that I was twenty nine. Um, and I had now for people been, don't who don't know, Lucian was the artistic director of the comic strip, and we eventually ended up getting married. And he died in 2004 of scleroderma. And um, I, I, all I know is that I had to get past at that club and I was doing comedy around the clock. And, uh, you know, my friend, it was my roommate Colette that said, you know, I watch all these uh, sitcoms and you're so much funnier when you talk about your day at work, why don't you try comedy? Like, you gotta be crazy, Colette. I'm not gonna, this isn't gonna work. What and kind sure of work enough- were you doing? I was a secretary. I was a word processor. I typed like 80 words a minute. In New York City? Mm-hmm. And then send, I started working at a package on Amazon next week, just so you know, Vanessa, to get you a tripod so you can keep the guy's <laughs> phone steady, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, one of the sweetest things with Sean and Gia was um, I went through a lot of problems with my last, with the relationship years ago. And, uh, it was probably the sweetest thing I ever saw was like a healthy relationship where someone called each other babe and helped each other out. Uh, you know. You know what would help me out? If you took your thumb off the camera. <laughs> it's my thumb. Oh yeah. God. Okay, right. sorry. Sorry. So finish, sorry. So finish the story. So now you're, you're 31 years old and your roommate tells you, hey, you're funnier than people on TV. And so you go to the comic strip and you figure you got to try and get past it. No. Comedy club, and there's 36 comedians, and I invite everybody from the office, all the girls from the office, and I wait really four hours and 36 comics later. I must have had about eight cups of coffee and pretzel sticks, and I went on to my set. And the second I just like got on stage, I was like, I'm home. This is, this feels right. And I thought the only person I have to rely on to get better is me. I don't need to rely on actors, directors, producers. I just have to get good at what I do. And that was such a turning point for me. And that was the beginning of like life changing. Within two years, I had a huge development deal. And um, a Car for, you know, from a show, a showcase at Caroline's. That's, that's, that's a great story. And so you're growing up and we know this ahead of time now, you were a big Beatles fan? Oh my God, huge. And my dad, um, my dad actually gave um, LSD to Paul McCartney. How did, really, how did that happen? He had given it, I just finished doing a show. A book has just come out of my dad called The Divine Rascal. It got huge rave reviews. And um, my dad had given LSD to Paul McCartney, but it was Tim Leary that got all the uh, credit and my dad literally got ostracized from history during that period as though he never existed. And I kept, after 1998, when my development deal fell through and I realized that nothing was gonna happen, I started working on a one woman show. And then uh, Andy Roberts, the guy who wrote The Divine Rascal, Divine Rascal, uh, flew me to London to talk about my dad. And now I just finished writing a show about him that took literally, um, four months to finish 20 years of slowly working on. And um, he met Paul McCartney and Paul McCartney lived in like a high castle. He wasn't getting along with the Beatles. He like had it like a high tower in Scotland and he had like a bowling ball. 
My dad, what, you know, gave him a little bit of acid. This is like 1966, 67, before right. he got, went to prison. That, that's, early, that's early in the Beatles uh, history. That's like around the revolver time. Right. And that's yeah. where Tomorrow Never Knows and Tomorrow Never Knows was written by John Lennon because Paul McCartney got the LSD to John Lennon and uh, Tomorrow Never Knows was from the Tibetan Book of the Dead which inspired John Lennon to write uh, Tomorrow Never Knows. And Dr. Roberts was a, was a doctor that was giving people, I don't know if it was LSD or methamphetamine, but it was quite a time during that period. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. And that's when the Beatles really kind of changed their look and going from like, you know, right. the, the, the clean cut mop tops to be, you know, growing the beards out. And from I want to hold your hand to I'm the walrus. They just made that transition. Exactly. The same with the Stones, the same with a lot of rock groups. Yeah. Well, you know what? And yeah. really, it all kind of starts with um, the Beach Boys uh, recording Pet Sounds, and everybody wanted to become experimental and opening up their, yes. their heads. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was a huge um, progressive time, but like, you know, Tim was a Harvard psychologist, Baba Ram, uh, Richard Albert, who became Baba Ramdas, Harvard psychologist, my dad, extraordinarily bright. Um, these really well knowledge men that got basically forgotten in the annals of history as like LSD, you know, hippies, when they were Harvard psychologists. Yeah. Um, and I, I gave them, I gave them a, I gave them a voice. So, but in, through all of this, when you, like Tim Leary's kids have, one of them has nothing to do with them. His wife committed suicide, his daughter committed suicide and shot her husband. So it's like every kid from this period while they were, you know, preaching free love and, you know, take acid, turn on, tune in, drop out, uh, the kids got left behind. And I was one of the kids that got left behind, but um, was the straight daughter. I didn't end up developing a, a drinking problem until uh, when I turned 44, when I was to become very much like my dad and have some of the same afflictions and addictions that he had. What were the similarities there? What, what caused you to go from, from uh, becoming a secretary, doing stand-up, and then 13 years later, getting this uh, uh, drinking problem. It was more like 16 years later when Lucian died. Um, I remember all I did was uh, he loved wine. I never had one drink with him. And he said it would be nice if he had a drink of wine. And I said, Lucian, it takes like cough medicine, no desire. I'm not interested. And then as he was dying, as he was getting sicker and sicker, I remember I was making, I was literally making him like a, you know, like a, you know, some fancy like French wine sauce with, with cream, just kind of fatten him up. And he'd gotten down to about 130 pounds. And I thought, oh, fuck it. Let me have a glass of wine. And this is someone that barely drank. This is someone that vowed never to be like their dad, was straight laced, drank coffee, smoked cigarettes, um, didn't even smoke pop, didn't do drugs, you know, straight laced. Um, did comedy nonstop, work, bit of a workaholic. And if anything, had like a sugar addiction. Um, and I remember I just had one glass of wine, drank the whole thing down, and all of a sudden, like, the world went from being a dark place to being in color. And it was very, I just would have a glass here and there. And then by the time a year had passed and solution passed, I probably went from maybe two or three glasses of wine a night to, I was to wind up, drinking two and a half bottles and risking dying 
and had to get sent off to rehab, just like my dad. My dad never went to a rehab, but like him, I had the uh, I had the addict gene. Let me tell you, I'm a, I, I have seen both versions, and this is my favorite right. version of Vanessa. How right. Long, how right. long do you know Vanessa? He's seen me pretty bad. Um, how long? Well, I'm doing comedy 12 years, so it's got to be about 11. Yeah. How did you guys meet? I booked a show. Uh, I used to book a room. And, and I'll never forget that. <laughs> I used to book a room in Wachung at the Colorado Cafe. It was one of the weirdest gigs you ever have in your life. It was a, a bar stage and a, the, surrounded by the bar. And then ahead of you was an actual mechanical bull. So I was booking Thursday night shows there and I, I had heard of Vanessa, I reached out to her and actually uh, Sharon Simon was actually the one who brought uh, Vanessa out there. Oh wow. She's good friends with Sharon. We did and, that uh, We just hit, we hit Remember it Remember John Fierro? I was dating John Fierro, that yep. Italian guy. Oh and yeah. And he came to the show. Mm-hmm. So we just hit it off and then- um, as, a, as opposed to John Fierro, the Jewish guy. Yeah, exactly. Good, good, good joke, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> Such a dick. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Way to fucking derail a conversation. <laughs> Speaking of which, my cat needs to get spayed. Just saying. Well, bring him in. You know, the, the office is still open. Bring him in. Her, we, uh, in, in Staten Island. Take yeah. a ferry? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's right over the ferry. You know. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I said, said in the beginning of the show that, uh, you know, and it's, it's the truth, you know, no one in my career has helped me out as much as Vanessa. And, you Don't know, as far as, as booking me, you know, help, you know, booking me on the road with her to open. But for one, it was one specific night and we all had those turning points in your career. Uh, and this was my, my, my first big turning point. Uh, Vanessa was working uh, down in Bristol, Pennsylvania. And I was, I was hosting for her and she was headlining. And the booker there is a nice guy, but for some reason just doesn't like comedians. And he thinks he's funnier than everybody, which he's a nice guy, but Ugh. he uh, he made a comment to me that's and said something to the effect of you're always going to host here. And I was like, well, that's kind of that's kind of weird. So then right before um, the show, Vanessa pulled me aside. I don't even know if she remembers this. She goes, probably oh, not. I want you to do me a favor tonight. And I said, what's that? She goes, I want you to blow me out of the fucking water. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, don't ever let anybody tell you what you can do in comedy. I want you to blow me out of the water tonight. And I went up there and I went guns blazing hosting. I brought the, the middle guy up and then I brought Vanessa up and she crushed it as usual. And after the, after the weekend, the guy pulled me aside and said, I got to take that back. I'm going to give you the bump to feature next time that you're over here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's been many, a, many, a many a weekend where Vanessa and I have been on the road killing time at malls together, watching movies and tons of stuff. Now, you know, obviously you're, you're a big music guy before like the whole thing, you know, you did, you know you, did you guys go to like record shops? We, did you do that stuff together? No, I would torture Vanessa by playing death you metal. Guess, in the yeah. Car. Yeah. How about some of the songs you like? You know, I would, I would play some, and some there the wasn't even that. Like, yeah. like dead just, skulls come to life. Like it was some of those awful things. Yeah, it really wasn't. It was just Godsmack. But, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> according to Vanessa, it was, I, I was trying to make her into a Satan worshiper. Yeah. So every once in a while. I even sent her a video uh, yesterday of uh, a huge, like, four-minute mosh pit coll uh, collaboration of, like, 17 different mosh pit videos of people slamming into each other. 
I always tell her I'm going to take her to one of those shows one day. Vanessa, what was your favorite Beatles album? Do you have one? Um, I'd probably have to say Revolver. Wow. Okay. That's a great okay. pick, though. Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby was, um, it reminded me of parts of my life where it was a rainy night and I'd broken up with somebody and I didn't, or I thought about all the lonely people, you know? Yeah. It, it was such a prophetic song. And then um, your daybreak, um, and then uh, for no one was kind of like my parents' marriage. Um, what songs really kind of like stick out to you? Like, like, you know, I mean, it's the Beatles, so it's impossible to do. We never ask you to give me topics. But what I'd probably say like, Dear, uh, Dear Prudence. Off the White Album, yeah. Dear Prudence. Um, the Long and Winding Road. I Love remember it. being on a train with my friend, my best friend, Gracie, and there was nobody on the train. There was nobody on the train car. And Gracie and I just started singing The Long and Winding Road together, waiting to go from Marcy Avenue all the way into Brooklyn. Um, just a beautiful memory. And um, it probably, and then uh, I guess I, you know, when Lucian passed away, this isn't one of the Beatles songs, but Paul McCartney did it, My Love. I remember when Lucian oh, died, I used to listen to My Love and literally just start sobbing. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny how music kind of does that, where songs take you to a real clear image in, in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. And Come Together, I Love, Come Together was literally written, um, it, it was written um, when they had the bed in, when Yoko Uno and John Lennon were in uh, Montreal with uh, Tim Leary and his wife. Mm. I think it was uh, Rosemary Woodward. Woodard. Eddie, did, did you like, remember when they came out um, with a whole bunch of remastered stuff in the middle uh, 90s? And they came out with two singles that were found. Free as yes. the Bird yes. and yes. Uh, Real Love. Yeah. I love both those songs. How about you? I thought they were okay. It was like, I thought there's a reason why they didn't release them, because they were okay. The Beatles did excellent, excellent material. I mean, Real Love is nothing like um, Here Comes the Sun. But that was also a Harrison song. Okay. Um, Martha, my dear. Even, you know... See, you got to look at one thing, too, as far as the history of the Beatles. Like, now what they're doing now in, in some hospitals when COVID-19 patients are being released, they're actually playing Here Comes the Sun over the uh, loudspeakers while they're being wheeled out to uh, to be uh, discharged from the hospitals as well, too. Yeah. Did you know that? Really? No, yeah, I had no and, idea. Uh, a lot of hospitals in New York are playing Here Comes the Sun, and uh, they take video, and everybody cheers all the patients after they're recovered, and they're on the way out while they're pushing them out towards the, you know, the exit, you know, so they can actually see the sun. That's the song they play over the loudspeaker. Very appropriate song to play. Yeah, so every time, they, every time somebody hears it, they realize that somebody's recovered, somebody's beat it, and then that way they can actually go out and uh, start life again. Now, Vanessa, have you ever seen any inclination of the Beatles, whether it be just like McCartney on his own or Ringo's all-star band? Did you ever go see anything like that? Um. I saw the uh, Traveling Wilburys when I did uh, Foxwoods, or I, I did Foxwoods, and Todd Rundgren and uh, 
Ringo Starr was there and Ringo Starr did Photograph. And Photograph is, beyond, is one of my favorite songs ever done. Um, it reminds me of all the things, all the people I lost. And, you know, so many times all I have is a photograph to remember them by. And Ringo, like, to me, he was the, he was the Beatle that was, all he wanted to do was make enough money to keep a hair salon going for his mom. Like Ringo to me was the humblest of the Beatles. Um, and um, Pete Best, I don't know if you know this, Pete Best was the drummer. Sure. And he was the, uh, the drummer that was cuter than Paul McCartney. And Paul McCartney couldn't stand the fact that at the Cavern, all the girls wanted to see Pete Best. So there was this, I, I, I saw this documentary where um, they found something wrong with his timing, with Pete Best's timing with his drums, with one song, I can't even remember the song. And uh, I, uh, the, one, of the, one of the Beatles producers um, said, I'm sorry, but your timing is off. We're going to let you go. And it was only to get rid of him to bring in Ringo because Ringo wasn't so cute. And Pete Best, when I saw this documentary on Pete Best, he ended up having like a, a band, a session band like the Beatles or like a tribute band like the Beatles, but it wasn't the Beatles. And I learned more about spirituality and acceptance and love from that video than probably sitting in church for about five years where he just accepted the fact that it wasn't meant to be that he had a family that he had love that he stayed in liverpool and that he had a tribute band and he knew that he got screwed but he uh, accepted ooh. it what? it was one of the most brilliant shows i'd ever seen it was like on pbs hmm. it's kind of like wally pip who won the blues yeah. job to lou Gehrig. right and all of a sudden paul mccartney didn't become so cute to me paul mccartney was okay looking he was okay, but he wasn't like Pete Best to me, for my money, had developed spiritually and had developed a level of humility that I could only hope to achieve. And then with reading about uh, Cynthia, Cynthia Lennon's uh, autobiography about Lennon, you know, there they were, uh, Yoko and Yoko and uh, John were having sex in uh, John's house and they all had the purple, they wore the purple, uh, you know, bathrobes. And Cynthia Lennon walks in, sees Yoko with John wearing her purple bathrobe. And she literally just packs up and leaves. So, you know, John was no, no, uh, wasn't that great either. So as I began to read more and more about the Beatles, it was kind of like George who became really spiritual uh, right. and studied like, uh, you know, you know, uh, did all things about, must pass, tried to raise money for people in uh, Bangladesh with the concert of Bangladesh and uh, Ringo. For my money, the kind of Beatles that were on the outside that probably be became the most spiritual and deepest and you know active and kindest Beatles uh, than those two, the ones that I originally loved and that I'm pretty sure everyone else loved. Okay. Um, hey, everybody, we are joined by Pat Dixon. Welcome, Pat. Hey, Jeffrey, how are you? Thanks for and having me. And I don't know if you know my co-host. Do you know Sean Morton? I, I feel like we've met, but uh, nice to see you, Sean, and thanks for having well. me. I feel very underdressed. Thank you. you. Know Vanessa, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we know. Well, yeah. We know each other. All right. Hey, well, Vanessa, how are you? I loved what you were just saying. That was really, really uh, interesting. You know, uh, you don't hear too many people sharing a, a lot of love for Pete Best. It usually doesn't go quite down to uh, I love to Pete that. Best. So, that's yeah. really cool. Uh, and you said he's great, isn't he? I'm I'm glad I know nothing of him. I just well, I just know he was the one who didn't uh who didn't come along for the ride. That's that's really all I know. <laughs> they screwed him so badly. They said, yeah. Pete, you're off by one eighth of a beat on your drums. And but it was a big lie. 
but but the underlying story was that McCartney was jealous of Pete Best. Jealous that he was better looking and every girl wanted him. Right. Wow. Much like Jeffrey is, is very jealous of me being better looking and funnier. It's, 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 it's exactly it's understandable, like I'm afraid. It really yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, for people who don't know Pat, Pat is the host of a great show called the New York City Crime Report. Um, yes. You know, and I, I love Pat. Pat is a, an interesting guy. First of all, I've never seen him with this much hair. And it's ridiculous, right? It is. And second of all, Pat, question before we start getting into music and everything, uh, I know you're 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 well-read guy, smart guy. What do you think about the job that the mayor and the governor are doing during this pandemic? Well, it depends on what their goals are. You know, I mean, if they're trying to kill as many old people as possible, I'd say they're doing a great job. Great job. Oh, I'm furious. I'm furious that we had the comfort uh, with a thousand beds and 182 got used. And then all the half the people, half the elderly in the Elmhurst nursing home died. Yeah, yeah. It's almost as if they, they everything he did was intentional. I mean, in March, he was telling us to go down to Chinatown and, and uh, you know, hug Chinese people. Uh, I don't know if one case was spread that way. It just seems like a sort of a reckless thing, a, a message to have, you know. But, uh, you know, de Blasio's got his, his scapegoat now, I guess, uh, which, which would be the, the Hasidic community. And, you know, I mean, if you start comparing the mismanagement among all these people, uh, it gets to be, it gets to be <laughs> there's a lot of competition for worst. It, it makes you really feel optimistic about the future, huh? Oh, but don't you think he should, uh, don't you think like Cuomo should at least apologize and say, listen, I, I was in over my head. I should not have given the order that it's okay for for an elderly with COVID I, to come back I, into the nursing homes. No, I think he I think he should resign and be charged with uh, negligent manslaughter, negligent homicide. You know, I mean, like that's who a, do you a, think should who do you think should take over? Donald Trump. <laughs> Step down. But from he's president. president. He can't like be president and governor of New York. Like uh, he can't do both <laughs> at once. I really don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought it through that much. It doesn't seem like a realistic possibility. Cuomo is very popular somehow. He's extremely popular. I think that, and I, I made a post about this a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, had this pandemic happened six months ago, do you think they would have really pushed him to run for president, to run for the nomination? I think it, it could still, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he certainly uh, is, is a lot more with it and a, a lot less controversial than Biden at this point, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I keep thinking every time I watch the de Blasio uh, briefings in the morning and I see the weird Al Yankovic guy in the corner, <laughs> I just keep, I, I keep saying to myself, I wonder if he's actually doing proper sign language or if he's just saying, this guy's a fucking jerk off the whole time. <laughs> I really did. Did you see, did you see that did. woman do sign language for one of the governors? I can't remember. I think it was the governor of, uh, I think it was Maine? New Jersey, Murphy. New Jersey. She yeah. was disgusted. You could tell that she was the, the woman doing the sign language was like disgusted. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like she was going like that. I mean, it was the funniest thing. Like she was disgusted by this woman talking about, uh, um, keeping everybody safe i just think there's i'm fr I, i'm frightened new jersey have you seen this sean with his drones that are going around stay in stay in your house you can get yeah uh, well, i live here so it's kind of frightening it's like yeah. 1984. yeah it's a little weird and i think that we're we're going to wind up being closed a lot longer than you, you are going to wind up being closed a lot longer because you got a governor that's worth 50 million dollars that has no problem with you staying inside right he, he can wait out but they can go out yeah years. 
but he's got a yeah. nice he's got a nice mouthful of urinals. I will tell you that though. Let me Handsome ask you man. this: What frightens <laughs> me more? Because I've been watching the news like be, you know around the clock. What frightens me more? Not so much the governors are are seizing all this newfound power that people can't even have a little kids can't even have a play date or people can't even go to Home Depot and get some plants or you know seeds. Is that we're so blithely going along? The American public is just like sheep. We become sheep. That's what's frightening well, me. Not in Michigan. Yeah, yeah not, no, me. not in Michigan. I'm out of my house three times a week. Three, four times a week I leave my house. Do you wear your yeah. mask? I wear a mask. I wear a bandana. I make sure I have hand sanitizer. When I come home, I take it off. I wash my hands. I get my clothes in the wash. I go in the shower. I decontaminate. And I, you know what? Wow. I'm better off than a lot of people. I'm yeah. happy. I'm growing a garden right now. I'm baking. I'm you really should have been. You really should have been washing your hands before. You know, I mean, I never did. You know, Pat, it was kind of weird. Like there was this weird film that started coming off my hands. Apparently, I'm not black. Did you know wow. that? I, yeah, I, no, I didn't. I don't see color. But yes. uh, one, sometimes you don't feel as comfortable once you wash. You know, like it, it's it just depends. You know, on on what you've been doing, I guess. But, but it, is uh, mental, it is a mental thing. Like I have to. Like as soon as I get home, I have to rip the clothes off and jump right in the shower. I would never do that six months ago. Now, Sean, I, I'm not sure if you know this, but Pat is basically the inspiration for doing this show. Um, really? Yeah, Pat and I were uh, together at uh, in Greenwich, and we were, I don't know if you remember, Pat, we were hanging out in the uh, I do. backstage, you know, in the green room, and we were talking all night about music and the Beatles and, uh, and the Stones, and we were like, you know, I would love to, like, explore this further and you know really find out like why you know where did this like passion for the stones come from so pat now that i got you on this show um why did where did the passion for the stones come from Man. oh and yeah. what did you think of the thing they did with the with the stones the four stones doing that uh Okay. I, I don't know, man. That that's that's my hundredth uh, thing to talk about. I mean, like, although it was interesting and good and everything, but like, I don't, you know, whatever. Uh, the as far as getting into them goes, like, I mean, like, I, Hot Rocks, I think, was the first album that I had, right? The, the, it was uh, one of those volumes, and it's just a, a big compilation album, and you realize, man, every song on here is good, and I'm a teenager, and uh, you know, I know all about not getting any satisfaction and all that. And then the rest of it, you kind of like uh, piece together. You know what's great about the, the Stones to me that I didn't really realize until later on, because there's layers with the Stones too, you know? I mean, they've been around so long. They've right. had different incarnations, they've, you know, but they always stick with the uh, same basic formula, you know? And, and, and that's rooted in American music. It's rooted in blues and it's, and you know, they, when, they, when their lyrics a lot of times mention American cities, and I think that that's a big factor with, you know, winning, being winning in America, you know, is, is to talk about Jackson, Mississippi and Memphis and, uh, you know, wherever else, you know, it, it's, uh, they're, for a British band, they're, they're, they're very much an American band. What was the first album you bought by these songs? Besides Hot Rock, original content, not a greatest set. You know what it was? Cause, and this is just the way it worked out. And a lot of people, this is just right after their cutoff. It was, uh, it was undercover. Oh my God, uh, really? The vinyl undercover. And you know something? I think it's an underrated album. It wasn't Tattoo You. It wasn't think, Some Girls. I think that's an underrated Stones album. I do, I do too. A lot of people say it's their last great one, but yeah. I think that it's, uh, 
I, I, and it is, it may, it's one of their best, in my opinion. Well, you know Did you ever see Performance, the movie Performance? Yeah, that was the, uh, the uh, Scorsese movie, right? Oh, no, 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 no. You're talking about way back when with Memo from Memo. For Turner. Memo, Memo to Turner. Turner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. No, yeah. I, I, about, I, don't, I don't think I did see that. The thing about Goat's Head Soup, uh, uh, Tattoo You, is that um, it is uh, the, out, the songs that didn't make it onto Goat's Head Soup wound up going on Tattoo You. And I think one of the most underrated songs off that album was uh, Waiting on a Friend. Oh man, that that was kind of a, a doorway uh, into a deeper kind of because I didn't get that song as a kid. I didn't get that song until I was thirty-five, going or maybe even forty. Did I you know, really go? Wow, okay, now I see what they're talking about. Was waiting on a friend. You're tired of having romantic relationships that bust up. It's nice if you can just keep having sex with a woman and have it be trouble-free on a friendship level. Uh, when know, does I mean, that happen? Well, you know, uh, if, if, you're, Jagger, if you love a prostitute. <laughs> See, for, for me, I, I, I went into the Stones very late because, again, I was, Child. when I was starting, well, yeah, that too, but um, they didn't put out a lot of music at the time. So I was really introduced to them during Steel Wheels. So, Great album. Very, yeah. local, very underrated album. <laughs> and for me, I mean, Mixed Emotions was the first real Stone song that I had gotten into. And I really loved it from the video on MTV. So I went backwards. I went completely backwards. And my first one that I bought was Tattoo Year. Yeah, okay. I, I think Steel Wheels, I mean, they had a couple of good songs. I liked um, uh, Rock in a Hard Place. Great song. And that, was, and that always was great live. And I, I think me and you talked about this back that night, uh, Pat. But I worked on that tour. Uh, and it's a bunch of, bunch of dates on Steel Wheels. And from that, I wound up doing four different uh, tours with the stones and, and that was if yeah. i'm not mistaken jeffrey that was the one where they started to get the whole you know sticks and canes kind of thing like oh they're so old and at the time when you were working that did you imagine that you know in 2020 they'd no. still be touring i mean it's absolutely amazing. not absolutely because you looked at them and they were maybe like i guess in their late 50s because steel wheels absolutely. was about 89 89 mm -hmm. 90 when, when they toured mm -hmm. And the opening mm -hmm. uh, band, I mean, the, the Stones also known for always having great supporting acts and was, was a new up and coming act was um, Living Color, who was great every single night. How could that be though? If they were, if they were in their late fifties and 89, wouldn't that make them like in their nineties now? Well, could they be in their eighties? Probably in their late fifties. Early fifties. They're yeah, I think they're around seven years old now. So how? So I mean, listen, I'm not good at math. So <laughs> or comedy. Me, me, I mean, either. <laughs> it's always good to have supporters on hand, isn't it? Yeah, this is my coach. Mick is 76, by the way. He's 70. Okay, so He's what are they? Mick is 76. In their late 40s at the time. So mid 50s, mid 50s they were. Still, man. I mean, when you looked at them, and and I was right there with them. They looked like old guys. They yeah. looked old. You know, Jagger looked great on stage. But when you got these guys off the stage, because one of the things I used to have to do was before he would um, uh, take the stage, sometimes he would run, he would exercise. And I would go running with him, okay? He wow. Looked, he looked old. And now, now, like Pat said, it's 2020, and if there wasn't a pandemic, they would still have been touring this year. 
Sure. They love the He's tour. He's going to be they, 76 in July 26, Mick Jagger, 76. Yeah. yeah. When they, they, I saw them only once, and it was in Houston, and it was, uh, you know, just a, not a particularly good uh, type of venue, like a big stadium kind of thing or something like that, big. And, you know, they, they, the stage, the way it comes out into the middle of the room, I don't know if they were doing that during Steel, Steel Wheels, but during, I think it's Honky Tonk Women or something like that. It'll what, come what out. Year was and, it? This was like 2005. 2009. I, I, I was with, I was there. For, I think the last one I did was Bridges to Babylon. Either that or Voodoo Lounge, but I think it was Bridges to Babylon. You're gonna. This is gonna shock you, you know. But but you know there are a lot of eras to the to the Stones, like we were saying. And now I haven't even explored. I've never even heard Dirty Work from beginning to end, and that came out right after Undercover, you know. Because I figure I'll have these to get into later. In 20 years, they're gonna sound better than they do now. Dirty Work had a good. They had a one hit to the body, right? Yeah, and Harlem Shuffle. I enjoy that song. Yeah, that was I mean, that wasn't too bad. It had a, Pretty decent video. What are some of the, the cover was a big turnoff. Which one? The cover was a big turnoff. Yeah. What was what, what was what were some songs that really stick out there? I know again, like because Vanessa was talking about the Beatles, and you can't pin down, you know, your, your favorite old time. So, what songs like really stick with you that you with the Beatles that you really kind of love? You're you're asking about the Beatles? No, the I'm talking about no, the, the Stones. We talked about the Beatles. You're the Stones guy. I'll say the Thank Stones. You, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, right now the one I can't stop listening to is "Star Star." You know, from Goat's Head. Sure. Star. Yeah. Yeah. What a fucking! It's just a great song. Do you know it, about "Give Me Shelter"? What happened to Mary, the background woman? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. Sure do. That's yeah, a great that's story. A story. I would tell. It's I would tell uh, Jeff song, that story. Do you know that story? Tell Jeff? the story, Vanessa. Yeah. Tell the so, story. Tell yeah, tell I was going to have uh, Pat tell the story because he's the right. Stones guy. Pat, you know Pat, the story. Pat, tell the no. story. I've been on for, I've been talking a lot. Pat, tell the story. Uh, all right. Well, this woman named Mary Wells was called in to do the background vocals on that, which is really not even the backing vocal. It's really kind of the lead vocal. It's what makes that song what it is. Uh, sure. Shelter, you know. And uh, yeah, she, uh, she, she sang with such kind of commitment. You can hear her voice crack at one point. Anyway, she had a miscarriage because she was pregnant a couple of days later. Uh, she had never even heard of the Rolling Stones. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable to think that, but that's the way. And they woke her up in the middle of the night, told her to yeah. get dressed, come to the studio. She lost her baby. They cracked whips on her. They, uh, yeah, I mean, it was ridiculous. I'm sure she was compensated, but you know, how do you get compensated for losing a baby? I don't really know. Right, My mom had right. four miscarriages, you know, so. I'm, I'm maybe wrong lived. on this, but you know, it's it's a very like soulful. Uh, down when she's singing, but isn't it yes. white? No, she's no. black. No, she's, I, she's I believe woman. she's black. Yeah, she, yeah. but anyway, yeah, I, it's black. not really, I, I, Gimme Shelter is a great song. Anybody would put that on their list. You know, when I go through the Stone songs that I love, the era is, is the, I love the Mick Taylor era. You know, I love right. Tumbling Dice to me. Didn't mean a damn thing when I was 18 years old. And now I think it's like, oh yeah, I totally get that Tumbling Dice. Exile on Main Street took me forever to, to get into. You know, it's a big double album, and it doesn't. It, at first, it doesn't sound remarkable to your ear, but like over time, it worms its way in. You know, like one song at a time. Turd on the Run was the song, the first song that I actually liked on that album, and I'd listened to it twenty five times before I found something that really resonated. Turd on the Run is not really ever listed as one of their great songs, exactly. but it. 
yeah, it's uh, it's a good. What you, you think, you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What do you think about a song like Heartbreaker? I don't love Heartbreaker. I don't know. Really, it, it seems a little. It seems a little political. Oh, I love it. I think it's such. You know, I I love that whole. That 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 whole you know seventies era you know uh, Stones that, to me that that really girls. does it for me. See, my favorite song by the Stones is a, is a popular one, but not their most popular. Is "Get Off My Cloud." That's a great one. Yeah. Sure. Oh man, yeah, it's got it's got such great energy, great drums. Uh, it's got that great call and response thing, you know, and, and the energy. Jumpin' Jack Flash was probably my favorite one when I was uh, in my teens, you know, and uh, that because that song. It, it's it's just it's magic. Brown sugar to me is like uh, that one never ever stops being fun. You know, it's just like I don't think you can record brown sugar today. No, you can't. Uh, not not in exactly the same way. You know, and they they've no. always, they were always outrageous. You know, and it, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It just means that you know times have uh, it was is a product of changed. the time. We, I, yeah. I, I well, that, you know what? Even at the time, if people would have paid attention to what he was actually, that's. A great thing about the Stones, Mick sings right. You hear his voice, but unless you know what he's saying, you don't get exactly how he's singing it. You know, it's hard to explain. He the voice, of, his words, is what he does. Yeah, they're buried in the mix a little bit, you know. And he's hitting notes. It sounds like it's this effortless thing, you know. And that he's just, but like if you like, I play piano sometimes, and I could like if you play the melody line, it's exactly. I mean, he's like. He's a great singer. I mean, he really is. He's he's a he hits everything perfect, but it's buried in the mix a lot of times, you know. And so that's that's very interesting the way they do that. It's almost like just another instrument, and uh, I think it's cool to not to not feature the singer right up front. It gives you something to discover later on. I had never heard Jumping Jack Flash in my life until I had heard a bootleg version of Guns N' Roses doing it. Really? Because I was, only, I mean, that, that was my band growing up. That was up. your so, first introduction to Jumping Jack Flash? Yeah, because what I would do is there used to be this place in Jersey where they would sell uh, bootleg cassettes, like the old concerts and stuff like that. So I would take the bus up to this place and I found one Guns N' Roses tape that I didn't have. It was all uh, demos and outtakes. And now what they did was they actually re-released it when they did the... I think it was the 25th or the 30th anniversary of Appetite for Destruction, they released all those remastered demos and they do a ridiculous version of Jumpin' Jack Flash. And they also do Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis, completely wow. set up and just pure raw punk and rock. And I, I had known the name of the song. Like I didn't know, I knew it was the Rolling Stones. I knew that I had never heard it until I heard Guns N' Roses doing it first. So yeah. then I went backwards and I was like, this is a killer song. This is a really, really killer song. So I will, I yeah. go backwards with guns with uh with the Rolling Stones. And, and that's I kind of admire, I kind of like uh, envy you in a way. You've got so much to discover. I think you've got a lot more to discover going back than you do going forward. You know? I and, think so. and, and a lot of lyrics are great like that. I mean, I again, I, and I'm not picking on Jeff because I do that every episode, but because I am a little younger, I have to go backwards with a lot of these bands. So like. For me, I always talk about Guns N' Roses because that's the band that I saw from the beginning. I saw them from 12, 13 years old going forward. But like the bands I went backwards were, you know, The Doors, The Beatles, the, you know, The Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, uh, Mountain, like all these great rock Mountain. Bands. Yeah, mountain. I don't hear mountain. I don't hear mountain thrown into that list very often. With this, well, I, see me personally, I think the Mississippi Queen is one of the greatest rock songs ever recorded. 
probably. And that was done by Mountain. I didn't even know yeah. that. Yeah, that's interesting. The Queen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sean, if you're gonna go backwards, you start with uh, Beggar's Banquet. Beggar's Banquet. I have it. That's a that's a good record to start with. Well, you can't go. Oh, but to go. Oh, wait. To go backwards from there, you'd only be able to go back to like under my thumb and stuff. I mean, like uh, Beggar's Banquet. Street Fighting Man on it, which is you know. That song is another one, man, that I just recently. Mother's Little Helper. What uh, what album is that? Mother's Little Helper. Good question. It would be one of the real early ones, you know, like Between the Buttons or something like that. I mean, there's a bunch of the. Yeah, that's a that's a good song. It wasn't like one of uh, it, no, it is. It's on um, Mother's Little Helper is an early song. So that's off of uh, Aftermath. Okay. Okay, I didn't know. And, yeah, and you know it, that. It also has under my thumb on it as well. I know under my thumb. It's yeah. like so. Uh, boy, have we come a long way. My first Rolling Stone. I don't know. Eight that I had when uh, I did the Columbia House ten for a penny. Sure. <laughs> I remember those, that. Those beautiful yep. days. Yes. Uh, was uh, black and blue. Black and blue. Yeah. Is a good one. Yeah. Black and blue is interesting. Right? It's, it's, a maybe, song, it's, but... it's a really moody record because that songs like memory motel on it which underrated song love and fool to cry which are both that's really a beautiful up. song fool right? to cry yeah oh, that's beautiful that's, yeah i gotta be in a certain mood to, to enjoy that one but it has that what that like suicidal and depressed Nah, whatever but it's got a lot of caribbean kind of like reggae type shit on it you know and that you could tell they were having like a bit of a uh like a, a identity not an identity crisis you know but they were in transition you know i think it was right before they got ron wood or right after they got ron wood and you know the the mick taylor stuff you're talking about beggar's banquet you're talking about uh, exile on main street sticky fingers and then uh it is whatever the album, actually. Wait, what's that sticky fingers to a lot of critics uh, considered their best album yeah that's if true you go, that's if you true. go if you go online and look at some like these best album uh surveys it was one of the best album covers too. It was considered one of the best album right. covers. For me, it's not even in my top three favorite Stones albums. But you know, this is all completely subjective stuff. It is in a way. I mean, like I don't know about top three. I mean, you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't nail anybody on their top three. And and but you know, it's got at least the emotional five or ten. The number one album. Emotional Rescue is a good song. I like it. Is it. I don't mind the disco stuff. I don't mind Miss You on Some Girls. I like that stuff. So, some Girls was there was so crucial to them because it really gave them some kind of uh, viability with the punk rock stuff that was going on, even though it wasn't a punk album by any means. But it, well, it, Shattered know, is probably album. the most punk song on the album, right? Yeah. Still, they're, they're, you know what their fastest song that they ever recorded was, according to Keith, was Rip This Joint, the uh, second song on on side one of Exile on Main Street. Mm -hmm. And they mention a lot of American cities in that song. I wish I had a great story about seeing the Rolling Stones because I did go to a concert. Uh, the Foo Fighters were opening up for them and it was right when the second album, Color and Shape, came out. So it was like 97. So I guess that was the Bridges to Babylon tour. Did you, you saw my giant stadium? Giant stadium, I yeah. Was on, I, I was on stage during that. And I had, I had great seats. Probably 15th, 16th row, and uh, love the Foo Fighters. I was on one side, my brother was on the other side because there was a big stairway going up. Right. My God. So then I, uh, you know, the Foo Fighters go on, and they're great, and my friends are like, "Hey, you know, I got some, got some really potent weed. Do you want to try some?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't smoke pot, so sure, why not?" So I smoke pot in between, and then I literally have my head 
on my arm like this, the lights go out and the crowd starts cheering. Keith starts with start me up. So I hear the first three chords. I lift my head up. I went, nope. And I put my head right back down. <laughs> I could not keep my head up for the whole show. Uh. I heard everything. I could not physically keep my head up. And I remember playing that old video game, Arkanoid. Do you remember that? With a little ball and it would break the bricks. I was playing it in my mind while the stones are playing in my ear and my head is on my arm. Well, you had your own special concert. I right? had a great time, Pat. I had a great time at that show. <laughs> I think you do have a pretty good seeing the Rolling Stones story, actually. I guess. I wish I saw them, though. I was looking forward to seeing them on this tour. I really was. I was going to spend the money. I was going to do it, but somebody had to eat a bat. You if, you, I mean? if you never saw the Stones and there's still an opportunity to see them, yeah, it's one of those bucket list things you have to do it. Yeah, you have to. Well, you expect you expect them to degenerate over time. They're playing better. Or, or Paul McCartney. They're See playing him. better There's now. Nothing like it. They really are. The new song is really good. Vanessa, I told you my Paul McCartney story, right? Yeah, the the, the, the new the new Stone song they just put out last week, I think, is a really solid song. Have you have you heard of that? What's it called? Don't I even, didn't even know it. Not even aware of it. Yeah, they just put out a song. Uh, let me get the name of it. Living in a Ghost Town. So they recorded okay. it, they wrote it a few months ago and they were recording it. And because of what's been going on in right. world, obviously they changed some of the lyrics around. But the video is great. Mm -hmm. It's literally just like they're walking down the streets of Paris and London and there's nobody there. So they wrote this song before the pandemic even happened. Right. Wow. I did see that. How prolific. Yeah. And it just came out last week. Hey, did you, did you see on one of those pandemic shows the Stones were on and they did You Can't Always Get What You Want? Yeah, yeah, I saw that's that. the show. That's what I was talking to you about, Pat. When you came on, did you watch it? Yeah, yeah, no, I no. saw it. Yeah, Started I watched it, it was, once. It was great. It did Look, prove they, to me. It did prove to me that Keith Richards did die seven years ago, and no one's just told him yet. I thought Keith I thought was, was, I thought it was great. I'll tell you that. I thought Mick was fine. The young guy that was doing the guitar was okay. Uh, Ron Wood. Wait, young guy Keith Richards. Yeah, the young kid, no, the young guy with playing the guitar was great. The drummer, what was it, Charlie? Charlie was it Charlie? Yeah. Charlie Watts yeah. was great. Playing but, uh, Keith, awesome. Keith looked like he was on heroin. Am I right? Did am I missing I something? Great. I loved them. I thought they were the best thing on all. But the he shows was Did you watch it? He was barely play. He wasn't even playing. He was laughing. On that he was playing over a track. Yeah, he doesn't play too much in that song. Actually, yeah. Mick plays more rhythm in that song than. than yeah. he yes. Yes. It's funny how, how and it, I guess it really does hold true that Ron Wood, all these years later, I mean, he got, he's been with him since the 70s. He's still the new guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a bad history, Ron, right? I honestly think that Ron Wood is one of the most underrated and underappreciated musicians of all time. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He's part of that, that, that guitar thing that they do. It's not about lead and rhythm, you know. It's about this, this mashup, you know, and then that's... It really, we have to all be grateful that, and you know, that they kicked Brian Jones out when they did, you know, because like I, I don't know anything about his drug habits or how difficult he was to work with, but he, to me, just doesn't quite fit the profile. Yeah, I agree. Good. The only other guitar duo in a band I could think that kind of would rival Wood and Richards would maybe be uh, Don Felder and Joe Walsh. Yeah, I could see that. I guess. I mean, like, uh, how about I, Al Demiola? But who would be who would be his second? Uh, Jacko Pistorius. Yeah, he's bass though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I'm there's, trying to think of a bunch that have two great lead guitars. I mean, look they at Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden's the same way. You can't have Maiden is insane. That's my favorite band. You can't have it. You can't have a, yeah. you can't have one without the other on that band. Uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, I don't know who. I it's only Gilmore. Guitar. It's yeah. only yeah, Gilmore. Gilmore. Yes, yes, yes. Gilmore is a one-man wrecking show, man. He's insane, insane. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, he, he he's a very lyrical guitar player. You know, like very, yeah. very nice. like, again, very... the lead that he Steely does, Dan. I, I thought. Did you like? Do you like Steely Dan? He's they're one of my favorite bands around. Musically, they're amazing. I don't yeah. like Steely Dan. You know, they change lineups like like well, nearly I, every album. You know, there's just uh, on Donald, on a, on Donald Fagan like, and the other guy. Yeah, like on an album like Asia, they had a different lineup for every song. Crazy. I mean, yeah, but they, you know, and, they, like you but, said, and yet the sound is the is the same. It's amazing. Well, they they envision different musicians playing different uh, songs and different moods, but the constants, like you said, were, were uh, Donald Fagan. And uh, uh, who was the other guy? Fagan and uh, um, Neil, Neil Sedaka. It wasn't Neil Sedaka. No, it's not Neil Sedaka. Stop. <laughs> oh, he died. He died. This other guy. Uh, uh, the, great. Who's awesome? The, Everybody the, watching this remembers oh, it, and we don't. We look like a bunch of idiot boomers. Oh, I know who it is. I'm just watching Jeff die a slow death. Who is it, Sean? Come on, stop. I have no idea. I don't listen to that shit. Sure. I'll tell you. I can't stand it. <laughs> Pat, what have yeah. you been doing uh, now? You know, with, with with comedy being gone for as many weeks as it has, what have you been doing uh, with with your time? Stuff like this, you know, like I've been recording a lot of shows, like uh, interviews Becker. with people. Walter no. Becker. No. Walter Becker. No, Donald. Yeah, Donald Fagan's Walter Becker. The other guy is Walter Becker. I yes. thought the other guy was famous as well. He was well known. So good. I'm sorry to. Oh, uh, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just recording interviews on Zoom. And I don't know, like, it, it's something to do. It's, this has actually been that push I needed to, to get into some kind of video stuff. I'm doing, obviously, I'm still doing stuff at the studio uh, at Compound. So Crime Report is intact. And the other shows I do, I mean, I really have been kind of doing more work than ever in terms of this stuff. The only thing that's missing is stand-up. I've never, I can't tell you when I've ever gone two months. I haven't gone two months without doing stand-up in well over 23, 24 years. And I bet a couple of you guys can say the same. Mm -hmm. That's what Vanessa was just saying uh, before you came on. Yeah. Uh, this, I think it's got to be the longest stretch that any of us have gone without being on stage. I, I, I went a month when I first moved to New York, and, that, and that's the longest I, I ever went. What do you think? I've never gone more than two weeks in 28 years, and now I've gone two months. 28 years. Oh. Never went more than two weeks. Even on my honeymoon. I performed in Paris and Amsterdam. So, what, yeah. so when we come back, what is it going to be? Think what, my act? <laughs> I'm going to go hey, right Adam, back to the crowd work. What is it going to be? You, maybe you bring that piano out and start playing some music. Well, look, I mean, that would be fun. But you know, the, some of the clubs that didn't really change their, you know, like Dangerfields, how much business do they really lose? You know, by shutting down, you know. Are it's they going to pay us less than 25 when it opens up again with the social distancing? Are we going to get $15 a night instead of 25? Oh, right. Because they're going to have to cut the number of people in the club. I mean, yep. comedy clubs will be one of the last things to come back. You know, right. I know. I actually heard an interview this morning with Caroline from Caroline's on, on Fox 5. And she says she doesn't think that's going to be back until fall. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Well, well you know, she's to reconfigure the whole 
Unless we get a vaccine. If we get a vaccine, all bets are off. We're okay. Yeah, we're not getting that until the, until the winter. You know, it would, what would be fun to do would be just like uh, find one of these bars that likes to do, you know, book shows and just start booking fucking comedy shows and you could get anybody you want. I think it's going to I think you're What they need to do is have the government, like have something where you just post something that it's at your, your expense, mask or no mask. If you come in here, you can't sue the bar. You can't sue anybody. If you want to have a good time, come to the show. They've got to change some of the laws so that people can go to a show and not worry. And the bartender or the or the club owner doesn't have to worry about getting sued. That's what I say. The, the Zoom comedy yeah. is very strange. It's awful. It's very strange. I've done two of them now. It's uh, I've done one with no microphones being on. So you <laughs> can't hear the people laughing, which is kind yeah. of weird. And I've done one where you can't see anybody, but you can hear them. Uh, it did feel good. <laughs> you having a stroke, Vanessa? Between those two shows, no, you got one I'm getting low battery, after. and I'm trying my having a stroke. Thank you for making me feel. I'm sorry. Did I what? I'm just trying to, has Pat, <laughs> Pat, are you okay? Uh, yeah, have I'm you fine. tried one of these Zoom shows? No, I haven't. I mean, I've done stuff that's more conversational and, and uh, obviously, you know, the crime report stuff is intended to be funny. Any, any interview I'm doing, I'm trying to be funny, you know, but like it's not the same as doing stand-up. I shot 10 minutes of myself doing stand-up in my apartment the other day. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I guess the impulse to perform is, is, is really strong, you know. We'll see how that turns out. I'll edit it doing, together. And yeah. I've been doing live feeds every night on Facebook at seven o'clock. And, you know, there's some nights where I feel myself just trying to, I'm trying to be funny. And I look down and it's 745. And then there's times where I feel like this is the longest fucking 37 years of my life. And I'm six yeah. minutes into it and I want to abort and I can't. So it's so wow. it's strange. Why can't you abort? I don't understand. Because Why I can't a, you abort? I made a promise. I made a promise that I, uh, I, I'm trying to give back. I'm just trying to keep people's minds off of what's going on. So like, I'm not doing any politics. I'm not doing any religion, any of that shit. So I'm coming up with like weird topics to talk about, like greatest '80s hair metal bands. So people will be chiming in, or but like it was starting to get very tiring, you know, because people will be like, here's my suggestion. Let's talk about this. This is fun. And I'll be like, oh, no problem. And then we're done at like 7.07. So then it's like, it's like me trying to do fucking crowd work, but there's nobody there for me to do crowd work to. So, you know, yeah. Comedy is not a team sport. Uh, stand up is not sometimes oh, comedy. So stand up is not a team sport. So that makes it awkward when you have to rely on everybody else to kind of come together and do what they're supposed to do and shit. It's like, it's, you might as well be in a band. Yeah, and I've done both. Believe me, it ain't it ain't fucking pretty. It ain't pretty. What do you play? I What's sing and play guitar. Oh, do you write songs? I have probably a book of uh, six hundred songs written. Yeah. Why don't you sing us a song? Uh, I'd rather blow my fucking brains out than sing right now. Okay, do that then. <laughs> Here's my R. Bud Dwyer moment of the fucking career. Join <laughs> if you do it, we'll go viral. Uh, people have asked me to start playing. I think what we're going to do is I'm going to get my, my actual guitar player and I'm going, I'm going to write some weird funky shit and I'll have him play it and then I'll, I'll sing along with him. Okay. So let us know when that happens. Yeah. This was fun though. All right, guys.
That wait, we're, wait, we're just getting started. You, we're scratching the surface on the Rolling Stones. You got to come back with a with a more Rolling Stones type of episode. I think. You want to talk more? If you want to talk more, part two. We can talk more. We we can definitely talk more. I just figured if I was getting tired. Yeah, I can keep going. I'll tell you that people are always like talking about Beatles or Stones being better, and I do think that it's a personality type, you know, just like a lot of things are, right? And I think that's really more about what it is than who's better. Vic Henley, you know, he recently passed away. I remember he said his thing was. They're both they're both great. They both have great albums, both got great songs. You know, there's no reason to compare them. He would not get into that debate. But uh, I think that for me, the Stones are better because you can actually fuck to the Rolling Stones. And you oh, I don't no. think that you can no, fuck to, to me, the Beatles. The Beatles are superior. For fucking? Why not? Which Beatles album would you fuck to? Um anything with I'll Penny Lane you. on it? Uh, you wouldn't. How, about, uh, no. how about Abbey Road? Um, no, uh, no, I'll tell you one. Uh, Golden Slumbers. That's Abbey Road. Yeah. Yeah, but you're talking songs. I mean, like, what about uh, well, the White Album? Maybe, I guess. Golden the White Album. Well, yeah, but hopefully you're getting fucked longer than four and a half minutes. in the road is about having sex right in the road. Yeah, nothing, like, nothing gets me road. harder than fucking rocking. That's a little, a little on the nose, though, don't you think? It is. If, you say, if you're actually you, humping, why don't we do it in the road? <laughs> no, Golden Slumbers is very soft and come together. It's and, come together, um, yeah. Well, that never happened. Come together. And I could, I could jerk it to come together. Feeling a little on the gentle side. Don't get me started. I could go through the whole thing of all the songs. Sorry, sorry to get so nasty. People. I can see how uncomfortable Jeffrey is with this conversation. And, uh, no, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of some good Stones fucking songs. You can no. put on, you can put it on little TNA and get a little rhythm going. The problem, I to, I, the problem I, I is that Jeff's a virgin. That's why he's getting a little upset. So, oh, come now. That's nothing to be upset about. I, I the Exile on Main Street. I put that record on. I mean, time after time, it was just, uh, it worked every time. It just worked because it's there and it's you not there. You know what's there. great about the Beatles is it's so prolific and so wonderful that you don't even need to have sex to listen to them. The Stones, you think about having sex. Beatles, you don't even need to. Okay. I think when you, when you look at the lexicon, the Mount Rushmore of music, you got the Beatles, you got the Stones, and then you have a conversation about everybody else. I guess that uh, that is true. That is true. You know, but to you know, in appreciation of the Stones, man. I mean, like well, you I have Helene Witt on the sh on the show all the time. She's a huge Beatles girl. Hel Helene Witt. Yeah. You have her on the show. On this show. You have her on your show, Pat. Oh yeah, I've had her on my show a number of times. Yeah, I did. I didn't know you were. Yeah, I'm not against Beatles people. Don't get me wrong. My wife's a Beatles person. I am against her, but it's not because of the Beatles thing. Is there a real competition uh, between the Beatles and the Stones, though? Is that a really thing? No, 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 there really isn't. There really isn't. But I mean, I, I do remember that being a debate all the time. Maybe it's just like a dumb boomer trope, you know? I don't know. No, I remember, uh, I even remember hearing about that, too. It's like, what, which camp are you in? And like, it was the same thing with the heavy metal. It's like, do you like Metallica or do you like Megadeth? You can't like them both. Which one do you like? <laughs> it's bullshit. Just listen to music. You know what I mean? Music yeah, is, yeah. is the art. It's the it's the universal language. Like whatever, and listen to whatever the fuck you want. That's the beautiful thing about it. I can put mm -hmm. on I can put on Helter Skelter and then go right into Painter Black, and not see which one is is better than the other. 
Well, you right. know, the, the stones do have such a great kind of darkness that, that it isn't really like all that dark, you know? I mean, I, I think that they, they teach you how to be uh, an adult male. Hmm. That's a great analogy. Cool. I think they really do. I think that they, there's a lot of stuff that's contained in those songs that you that you really it's conveyed in a shorthand, you know, and it's and you have to decipher it and figure it out, and that takes time. But great songs are not songs that you liked 20 years ago, and don't really think about anymore. They're songs that stay with you for your whole life, you know, like that's Cole Porter and all that stuff. That Frank Sinatra. I'm not. It's not about the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles are great. They have all that, you know. But for me, those songs. It, it, it's the compositions and uh, and the actual recordings of them too, you know, sure. of a sweet Virginia or uh, I don't know, like it, so many songs that you could could name that go down that that go down that road, and, and not all of them are hits, you know. And uh, people don't like to get into the Stones sometimes because the, their catalog is so immense. That's true. But you can get by on ten Stones albums, ten, twelve, you know, Stones albums, and, and I I could probably survive on that. I mean, you could take their their three disc greatest hits set, and you're never yeah, you're I, never gonna you're never gonna find a three a three disc set better than the Rolling Stones' greatest hits set. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean they 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 have so many songs like you you can't fit them onto. It's it's just, it's an incredible uh, streak. I, I think they've had a streak of good luck. I think the only other greatest monkey I'd have to say I love. What about that song, Monkey? Oh, Monkey Man. Monkey Man. Monkey Man, yeah. One of the best ones around. Phenomenal song. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it's 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 you know it's another one of their uh, another one of their songs. It's uh, you can count the bad ones. There's I mean like let's talk about bad Rolling Stone songs. What to you is a bad Rolling Stone song, Jeffrey? I mean like I know you got a few. Um, yeah, Emotional Rescue. You think that's a Start bad? Start me up. I can't stand. Why, God? Rescue. I, you don't like start me up. Oh no! Start me up. It's a great. No. Nothing. Oh, start nothing. Me up is their last big classic, classic song. Like you know, ranked ranked up there with some of the all time greats. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's that it's the big hit of that era. They open with it sometimes. It, it, uh, it does nothing for me. It really. It's, Oh, well, you know why? It's because it's for guys. That's that's one song. It does have a specific guy kind of because he's talking about a car, but he's really talking about his junk. I'm not a big Under My Thumb fan. I love Under My Thumb. No, I was just thinking another great album that you would like, Sean. Check out Let It Bleed. Let It Bleed. Wow. How did we not mention that one yet? I don't know, but when you when you're talking about uh, Gimme Shelter. Uh, Monkey Man, uh, can you always get what you want? Midnight Rambler, Midnight Rambler, oh, great, oh, great, you know, and not a killer, well. you don't even notice. Sympathy for the Devil, great song, not a fan yeah. of that one either. You don't like really, not, not a fan of I like it, but it's not. I think there's so many better songs than Sympathy for the Devil, so much so that when Guns N' Roses covered it, I didn't like it. Mm. Wow, weird, yes, it just didn't hit me. It just didn't hit me for some reason. That's a disappointment. I'm disappointed in you, Sean. <laughs> That's not the first time I've heard that today, Vanessa. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad hated that song, Sympathy for the Devil. He was sure. Every, I remember playing it. He'd be like, this is like, there's a scratch or something on the record, you know, with the repetition. <laughs> just convinced of that, you know. So obviously I played it a big, lot more. I'm not a big Angie fan either. No. Oh, I hate that song. 
I like it. It's a gorgeous song, I think. Gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. if you ever break up with somebody and, and it's in yes. that, oh man, it, it, I have uh, several, you know, but my, well, I guess my first two marriages that kind of remind me of that tune. Oh, and I don't like I, Were I, they named Angie? Were the girls Angie or did they have an initial A? No, it was just that we had no money and no love in our souls. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason for a divorce. But you can't that. say we never tried. Right. Angie might not be the best song to have sex to, now that I think about it. Well, you no. beautiful, Angie? You're beautiful? You're beautiful, but well, see you, you later. Have, you could have sex to you. You can't always get what you want if you finish in about a minute and a half. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah that's true. I mean, you know, not but everything you is dream gel so close all seems to go up in smoke. Yeah. Let me whisper in your ear. Angie. I bet that's Jeffrey's like no. least favorite part of that song. Oh God, Pat, you nailed it. That nothing <laughs> makes me creep out and douche chill more when he starts whispering, go, Angie. <laughs> Angie. <laughs> you know that remind video me, for remind me of Billy Crystal trying to, to be like the jazz guy. Oh, right. Oh. You ever see uh, the video for uh, It's Only Rock and Roll and they're wearing those sailor suits and the bubbles? Yeah. Oh yes, and they're in the bubbles. <laughs> Oh, that's awful. <laughs> I think that's the real reason Mick Taylor quit the band. Yeah, and I'm surprised he didn't hang himself for that one. Oh, that is awful. That's like a that's a kind of a scene from Philadelphia. <laughs> with the eyeliner and everything. Yeah. yeah. Great song though. What about Mick Jagger and uh, David Bowie actually having sex? Oh, that's a yeah, that's a, that's some brutal stuff there. I like this one thing. That's a myth. I, I just love it. Did you ever see that video? Give me shelter. What do you say about giving me shelter? I said, when I think of the Stones, I don't think about those things, uh, Pat. I love to think about the opening chords of Give Me Shelter and how that just sets a mood, man. There's not, no better opening than that song. You ever heard the, uh, the demo version of that where, where there's no, it doesn't have that background vocal at all. It doesn't have that like, that really nice uh, subtle guitar sound or anything. Down every wormhole. Of, of of those songs, yeah, I've heard and, you know rough. No, speaking of great demos, have you ever heard the demo for Strawberry Fields? No, that's great. It's just, it's just Lennon. Uh, really? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, playing it on, I guess, like a uh, you know, kind of like an electric piano. Hmm. That's nice. It's, I mean, it shows that you know, a great song is like it doesn't really need all that uh, production necessarily. It can have a lot of different lives. Exactly. And when we were just talking about you can't always get what you want, you know, I thought it sounded great on that special. And that's without the, you know, the huge choir in the background, which really brings that song together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the choir, for God's sake, at the end is great. I mean, I could do, now that I'm older, I can do completely without that whole thing, you know, bass choir and all that stuff. Yes. I don't need that anymore. I don't need the, uh, th there's a certain type of a woodwind or, or a horn or something right at the beginning. It's like, wah, wah. Like, if, like you're on the prairie or something. It's not, it's not my favorite. Do it again, Pat. How did it go? <laughs> you know the sound I'm talking about. It's like somebody's blowing into a horn, like, wah, Yes, I wanted, I wanted the people who are listening, I wanted them to hear the sound. I chased so, Vanessa off. That's, that's all it took was a, one more horn blow. Battery died. So just uh, so you know, um, I don't know if you guys have any biggest fears when it comes to comedy, 
I don't have any <laughs> with the no with the exception of having to piss my pants while I'm on stage. So what I do is before I go on my set, whether I'm hosting, middling, headlining, whatever, I make sure I pee like three times within the 20 minutes before I have to go back on stage. And I just realized I was at about an hour and 20 minutes. And I'm like, I'm going to piss my pants at my fucking desk right now. You right. could have taken it out and, and done it in your waist, Karen. I have a five, I gotta go, guys. I got a 5.30 phone call for work. Yeah, oh, for Vanessa, it was great seeing you. Yeah, we're wrapping this up anyway. So thank you so much for your time, Vanessa. We really appreciate it. It yes, was my pleasure. You. It was yeah. my pleasure. I had such a good time. It was so good for my head. Believe me, I've been, yeah, I, it was good for my head. I'll reach out tomorrow. Okay. And Vanessa, tomorrow. can I just tell you, you look fly and yellow. Are you <laughs> It was so good talking to everybody. And I need my, my cat's got to get spayed. And just one last question. How's she doing? Sean, Jake. Wonderful. Okay. okay. I got to take this. I got, I Go got five minutes to get back for work stuff. Later. Okay. Love you. Bye -bye. Love you guys. Bye-bye. See ya. All right, Pat. You know, so I guess there's no place we're going to see you. Tell, tell us when, where could people find Crime Report? But, uh, yeah, New York City Crime Report. You can go to crimereport.nyc. And if you just, that's my website and it's got, you know, some other stuff on it. If you're just trying to get that podcast, Go to, you know, wherever you get your podcast. It's uh, iTunes and all that shit, you know. Uh, the New York City Crime Report with Pat Dixon. It's really one of the first true crime podcasts. As far as I know, it's the only true crime, all comedy, all New York City podcast. It's a great, it's a great podcast. I remember I, I did it when you had it at the uh, Creek in the Cave. And I did yep. it over the compound. Yeah, yeah, it was, and I think Creek in the Cave was 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 kind of weird, you know what I mean? Like we we were diver on two diverging paths the whole time, uh, you know, me and my co-host there at the time, and I didn't even know it. So that was you might have caught us at a weird juncture there, and uh, I, I want to have you on. Hell, I want I want to I want to have you on as soon as possible to talk about some more crime stuff because you know it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. Crime's just a great topic. It's a water cooler topic. It's the kind of thing you talk about that it's easy to joke about. There's always something there. Like there was a story today, this guy, uh, I think we did it on yesterday's show with, uh, I don't know if you, well, whatever, it doesn't matter who I had on. This guy, he was going through his mom's cleaning up her apartment after she died, right? And he's cleaning out the freezer and he found a dead body. And they determined this body had been dead for like 10 years. They couldn't even tell what sex it was. She'd had a body in there for 10 years. And you're like, what is somebody's mom? Where was the freezer? You know what? There's always a bunch of questions like that, and that's exactly the kind of stuff we talk about on the show. Where was the freezer? Must have been in a basement, right? Okay, Must have been one of those big meat freezers. In the freezer for ten years. Yeah, it wasn't up there in the with the egos and stuff like that. It wasn't. Well, you don't know that. Or what? Or what about if they went to Costco and you get the overspilled stuff? You put it in the freezer downstairs. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 the, and the more stuff gets, it just goes to show old people never throw anything out food wise. Oh yeah. <laughs> they keep it, right? And on that note, yes, <laughs> uh, you got to have me back on to talk Rolling Stones again sometime. I enjoy it too much. Yes, I would love to do that. One of my favorite people to talk to. You're you're so you're so knowledgeable about so many different things, man. It's always we love talking to you. Well, that's a huge compliment coming from you, Jeffrey. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And, and good, good hanging with you guys. Have a great, uh, a great show here. You know, I, I've been catching some episodes of it, and like it's once you get on an episode, you can't stop. I appreciate that. It's fun. This is uh, 
we wanted to do something different, just like you're doing something different with, with, uh, with you know, I'm trying to make humor at a crime. We're trying to just do, we're not, we don't want to do the typical two comedian podcast where we're just bashing each other for an hour and a half. It's just not just fun. Bash me. I do bash you a lot, but it's out of love. You understand? It's like when you have someone who's so much older than me so and who has lived so much longer of a life, you know what I mean? Like I have to make fun of it all the time. So, but uh, look, that's kind of your only move, isn't it? At, your, at, at this point, you are. That's all he has, Pat. <laughs> oh, I got a lot more, Jeff. I got a lot more. Believe me, your height, your face, your act. I got a lot of it. Believe me. But what do you guys have in common music-wise, though? I mean, a lot, right? I mean, obviously the, the stuff everybody likes, like stuff and all that different. kind of stuff. We're actually very different if you think about it. But the thing is, I listen. You both love Sabbath. You both, you know, you guys sure. were on a lot when you were naming the top. I forget what albums it was. It might have been metal albums or something. Yeah, you you guys had, you guys just matched and matched and matched. That's and, the beautiful uh, thing. We're very different, but we're also very alike. You know, so some of the stuff that Jeff is stronger with, which is like, uh, I'd say more of like the seventies and eighties harder rock. I pick up with the Civil War nineties rock. You know, and a lot more current stuff too. I had a whole debate with Eastside Dave, uh, who is this guy. I don't know if you know him. He has a show uh, yeah. at Compound, but you know, he's a great guy. But we, he loves the '90s music, and I just like, I'm like, it's just not as good as you think it is. I agree. That's my, that my thing. I, I agree. Not, when you compare, yeah, it's it to all angst music. Not even close. Yeah, I mean, when you take the angst out of it, first of all, the whole I feel like the first half of it was all angst and anger and long hair and like her. And then when you get rid of that, you got Sugar Ray. So, and, and, and Nickelback and, uh, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish. It's like, wow. You know, it was a very different, it was a very dynamic, not in a great way either, decade. <laughs> like, uh, it, was all the all over, it was all over the place. Like, when you had 1990, you're still listening to Poison and Warrant and Skid Row. And then you blink your eye and everybody's wearing fucking flannel and smells like patchouli. Wait. Can you say the same thing about the 70s, though, when you, when you say, okay, the 70s had Zeppelin Cashmere, but at the same time, it also had Billy, Don't Be a Hero. It had, like, that shit, too. It had the DeFranco family. It had, you know, it had Leaf Garrett, and at the same time, it also had, you know, Paranoid. So, I mean, sure. you know. It, and it had the Ramones. It had the Ramones. Well, the punk scene, you know, definitely came out of the 70s. And that's oh, yeah. the beautiful I mean, the thing about music. Different. That's the beautiful thing about it is that whatever you like is going to be available to you. And then there's other things that you can, you know, maybe grow on you a little bit. I like that you collected those rare cassettes. You know, I mean, that's a that's a that's kind of a rare bit of open mindedness in a, in an outdated, you know, uh, media medium, oh, you know, that. that you must have had at the time. Because who listens to cassettes? Cassettes were great. When you were trying to make something for somebody, cassettes where you could put song fragments on, you could do anything. Sure. You had the most freedom. It was, it was the most fun to make somebody a tape. Oh, yeah. And, and for me, it was because it was like four cities away from me. So I had to actually plan my day, get on a bus, and be on a bus for 45 minutes with the anticipation of going to this place and not knowing what I was going to get. And having to make sure I had my yellow Sony Walkman with batteries yeah. fully charged, ready to listen to that tape on the way back. You're making you're making anticipation sound like a hardship. <laughs> <laughs> but when you when you're 13 years old, what do you have? You know what I mean? Like, and you're a music oh, yeah. nerd. You know, I was a complete yeah. music nerd. 
So, you know what I got into when I was 13? I got into the doors and that and the and that was it. Whatever band you latched onto around 13, that's your band till you're 15, 16. You are one thousand percent correct. So why wasn't your band the doors? Why was it the doors? Yeah, because uh I don't know. You know what it was? I saw a special on HBO, never really knew anything about the doors, and it was called Too Young to Die or something like that, or you know, it was something about like rock stars dying young. And uh, Jim Morrison was, and they talked about the Doors, and I was like, "Wow, that's pretty interesting," you know. And then the more I bought and got into it, and I read that book about him, "No One Here Gets Out Alive," and then, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just becomes a kind of like an obsession, you know. You buy every poster and and, and all that shit, and it, nobody was listening to the fucking Doors in my town in like 1983. I felt like a complete asshole in a way, you know. But like that was the gateway band for me to get into you know the who the stones and and uh, everything else that was good so i like I'm, that i'm glad i picked up on it i like that term uh gateway band it doesn't necessarily have to be your band sure what was your gateway band i got you like for me i know it was probably ted nugent that got me into like metal oh uh, i think i mentioned it on the uh on an earlier episode when my, when my uncle handed me blizzard of oz from ozzy and I put it on because my mom was a huge country music fan and right. said to me, listen, I know you love your mother, but you got to listen to this and stop listening to the country shit. And I put it on and I played Suicide Solution. And I was like, at six going, okay, this is, this is it. Like, this is it. But I think that the main breakout was Guns N' Roses for me. Yeah. And which is, that's, that's, Pat, Pat just hit the nail on the head because... I, I, I try and be as open-minded as with music. I will listen to a lot of different shit. Um, I mean, I just put weird stuff on my phone today. Like, uh, I put on The Weeknd, Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, I mean... Uh, I, I, don't miss, I don't miss the days of looking at it like you do, man. Because I, I, I hate... I, I, I just pre-hate anything like that now. Well, that's and the thing. So I, I try not to, because you can find some really decent music out there. But for me... I know now I always go back to 88 to 90 and that's, yeah. and that's for me, it was between, I was 12 and 14. So when you said that, it just completely solidified everything. Yeah, you know, it, it, for me, it's more about the band because like when I was 13, it was 83 and Jim Morrison had been dead since 1971, you know? So I mean, like I, I always like, uh, Maybe, I don't know, uh, it, something about that whole thing just uh, appealed to me. You ever listen to the first Pink Floyd album? Yeah. It's a hard remember the first time, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn? Do you remember how disappointed you were? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a sure. very hard, the band is completely different because back, you know, that first album, that was all uh, Sid Barrett-influenced music. And it's, exactly. It's, it's not until like uh, Roger Waters really kind of takes over the band and Gilmore comes into the band where they go in a different direction, which is like, you know, Dark side of the moon. Wish you were here, all that stuff, you know. Uh, but, you know, they did get a little uh, heavy-handed on some of the concepts and stuff like that. But I just remember the first time hearing that record, and I was, like, determined to like it, you know, because you know Sid Barrett flipped out on acid, so this has got to be cool. You know, and it's, I've got a bike, you can ride it if you like, it's got a basket. Or you're like, man, I, I, there's not enough acid. No. You know? <laughs> I never. I also never found Lori, Lori Anderson, or um, who was she married to, um, uh, Lou Reed. I never found them interesting or good. 
Lou Reed, man, it's like, he, he, I feel the same way about Lou Reed as I feel about The Who, you know, just like real hot and cold. Like some of The Who's shit is so terrible. And then, and sometimes they'll have a terrible part within a great song. It's the most frustrating thing ever. You know, they have this song is cruising along and then they'll just like stop and sing something sensitive, you know, and then they go back to the song again. Well, that's, and just, that's, that's dopey Pete Townsend. But exactly. <laughs> but then, Being self-indulgent. But then, right. And then, but then they'll also have something amazing like Love Rain On Me which is one of the great songs of all time. If I tell you my favorite Who song, you'll think I'm the biggest jerk in the world. Hey, Sweetbox, and I will rip out the rest of that hair. Well, which one? Sweetbox. <laughs> no, it's not Sweetbox, no. I'm not, I'm not gonna pick a banjo solo. No, it's uh, My Wife. Oh, that, isn't that considered like the ultimate John and Twistle song? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, you really, you, you don't even think about John Entwistle's songs, you know, being part of the, but man, that song is so good. It's so good. It's got some horns on it or whatever, you know, and I could go back and forth, but like, I, I listened to Pinball Wizard until, you know, until I was done with it, you know? I mean, like, how many times can you uh, air guitar to that stuff, you know? I was never a huge Who fan, but I got, I got into them a little bit a few years ago. And yeah. my wife had bought me tickets to see Quadrophenia live at Barclays Center. How was that? One of the greatest experiences of my life was about 12 songs in. It's kind of like the scene from Animal House when they walk in into the bar and the music stops and they're all staring at them. It was right at the end of the song, right before the audience is roaring and you hear my wife go, can you play a fucking hit already? <laughs> and everybody heard it. I mean, the entire arena heard it. That's the best, man. I, That's the best. I, I laughed my balls off for days on that. Wow. That's Pena was such a great album. You had Punk Meets the Godfather. You had 515. You had so many great songs on it. But if you're not a Who fan, you don't know anything on Quadrophenia until you're about 13 songs in. They are telling you, hey, we're playing the Quadrophenia album, you know, so yeah, like, you know, uh, you know, buyer beware. I wouldn't go see Tommy. I hate, I think Tommy is just like, it's just garbage. You couldn't, you couldn't sit through Tommy, Can You Hear Me? No. Tommy can't. I can't. I, I, even we're not going to take it at this point, like you know, it's, just, it's, it's not a bad song on its own. But connected to all this, you know, like, I'm your wicked Uncle Ernie and all that shit. It's a Played by about Oliver Reed in the movie. It, oh, Oliver Reed, yeah. Yes. Uh, I watched Lou Reed the other day. I, I, I'll tell you about this. I, I, I accidentally came on Lou Reed Live, and it was like in 1980 or something like that. Maybe 82. I don't know. But he opened with, he was he's out there. He's Lou Reed. He's clearly sober. He's clearly, you know, there's no heroin involved. He's not doing all that shit. Yeah, too bad. And he opened with, he opened with uh, Sweet Jane. That's not and a good song. Like, wow, you know. What a, what a great thing. He just wanted to play all that stuff up front, you know. And, uh, That's what you could have, no, you could have left at that point. So exactly. Yeah, probably. <laughs> sweet, sweet Jane, you know, you know, then you got to sit through all that crap just to get to take a walk on the wild side. He played a real great version of uh, "Waiting for the Man," though, which I I do like that tune. And uh, there she goes again. You know, I mean, like you know, now that uh, Vanessa's gone, I can I can go ahead and admit it. I like a song that says, "You better hit her." You know, I mean, <laughs> it's something that you relate to whether you want to or not. 
And like the Lou Reed collaboration with Metallica when he did, they did the Lulu album. I, I couldn't even, I don't even know anything about it. I never heard of it. Metallica did an album with Lou Reed. So James Hetfield's not singing. It's just Metallica playing and Lou Reed is singing over, over the song. Lou Reed doesn't sing. He talks singing. Right. Yeah, he's... But it's so weird hearing this really heavy band and then hearing Lou Reed whisper fucking lyrics over it. It's a very, it, it's a very know. different album. I, I, I would imagine so. <laughs> very. I never heard Metal Machine music. I, I hear that that's like this like non-album that he put out to satisfy a contract or something like that. It's out of print. You can't really get I mean, Metal Machine music, you know? You know what I'm talking about? No, it's no. all just like machine sounds or something, and it's a big double album. But well, he used to do a lot of experimental stuff. Remember, he was married to Laurie Anderson, and she also did a lot of experimental music. She had, remember, she had like a minor hit called Superman? I, I recall some stuff by her. I know that she did something with uh, William S. Burroughs called it Sh it's Sharky's Night. Remember that? No. It's, I... it's William S. Burroughs doing this narration, and I remembered it from, you know, from forever ago, and I looked it up the other day. Shitty 70s stuff right there. It's shitty 70s stuff right there. Yeah, you're, it, but you know what? I have to bring this up because when you, when you brought up that new Rolling Stones song, it made me think that, you know, Bob Dylan just put out two songs. And, and, the Kennedy one is not exactly new, but I think this other one's like a, a totally new song. He had the number one most downloaded song. It was a 17-minute song. Oh, because that's what yeah. I want to hear. I want to hear nonsensical fucking singing for 17 minutes. I guess I do. You know, I listened to it a few times. It, it's The amazing thing about the music is that he confounds you almost every time he comes up with one of these, like, new kind of, like, ways of doing things, you know? And that music is, like, it's there and it's not there. It's always changing, but it's very rep you know repetitive. It's like you can't even put your it's 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 like sort of floating around in the ether. You know, I mean, it's it's a very interesting thing he's doing, and and, and like with a lot of Bob Dylan stuff, I don't like it as well as, as maybe I could right away. You know, because it's like, damn, I gotta I gotta settle into this and see what he's trying to do. And the backing members of uh, Yes uh, back him up. Did he really? No, um, it's just everyone <laughs> hates Yes so much. Oh. Any combination of Bob Dylan and uh, Yes would really drive him off the beat. Uh, why, why don't you just throw Primus into the fucking mix, too? Yeah. What was that album that Yes did, 90125 or something like that? It was a big 80s album. It had uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart. Yeah, the only good song they ever did. Leave It. That's when I got into Yes. I never really, I, I didn't know anything about their previous yeah, stuff at the time. But. You're not missing much, my friend. It was hooky ear candy. You don't. You never heard of Owner of a Lonely Heart? Of course I did. It's the only song I no, know. No, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, you saying? You... Oh, oh, okay, okay. No, he likes them. He has to. He has to defend yes every episode. <laughs> I like somebody to defend. Listen to Heart of the Sunrise. Just listen to Heart of the Sunrise and tell me what you think. Uh, do Do I need a spare half hour to do it, or is it like? A... All you need it. Heart of the Sunrise is about eleven minutes. Okay. It's, oh, it's yeah. Epic, epic, but not that epic. It's the same as like when the music's over or the end. You love a, you love you love a great uh, percussion section. You you know a rhythm section between the bass of of Chris Squire and the drumming of Alan White. It's insanely great. You know, and, and too, we had to sort of start questioning at some point, like, okay, the Ramones happened and all that stuff. So you know, what what do you have better to do than like sit and listen to an eleven minute song, especially right now? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'll check it out. What's it called again? Heart of the Sunrise. Just right. hmm. so you told me Armadillo's asshole. I would I would never fucking ever see that song. 
hard as what a about- stone. Now I got to download. I'm going to download them while we're on the phone. Thank let you. me let me let me float a song for you, Jeffrey, and see if you know this one. It's Kevin Ayers, Lunatic Lunatics Lament. What? I've I've heard of it. I don't think I know it though. It's like the best guitar soloing. The most of the song is just like really blistering guitar solo, and it's a couple of guitars, you know, and they're picking up where the other one leaves off and shit like that. And I. I'm not a Kevin Ayers fan or anything like that because like uh, the rest of it just doesn't sound like that, but it is a really nasty sounding song. Really good. All right. So that would be my, uh, and I, I still have to write that down because I'm really forgetful. Well, I'll ask you when we're not on anymore recording so that I don't look like a total dickhead. <laughs> well, Only half a dickhead. We're, we're, we're finishing strong here tonight. Yes, yeah, yeah. Are. Look, man, you know, you got to leave it to the middle-aged guys to really bring it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I, now I have to wait. I said I would. Yes. All right, fellas. This has been great. Pat, again, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll t- hope to talk to you again soon. Sean, we will see you soon. This, this will be up uh, tomorrow. So you guys can check it out, share it. We'd love it. Guys, thank you very much. We have some great shows coming up for everybody. Um, Take care. Be well. We'll see you soon.